Welcome to Rad People I Know. This is a podcast about how extraordinary people are every day. Life is not just about what you do, but who you are in what you do. All of us know a whole bunch of rad people. These are some of mine. I hope you enjoy their stories. So today I'm speaking with the wonderful Gina Nicole Brown, who is based in D.C. Yes. <laughs> um, I've known Gina for a long time. And like many of my friends, we've been out of touch. But tell the people how we first met Gina. I think it, it was early 90s. Um, is that all right to say? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Way back when. Yeah, we were um, both at Nordstrom. I know for me, I was working part-time at Nordstrom uh, while I was in graduate school. I also had a full-time job, but yes, you know, in graduate school and I worked in the customer service area. And that is where I met Val. <laughs> also yes. in the customer service area. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I think we were both at that point, both working two jobs because I was doing a law firm during the day and customer service at night. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, there was a few of us, you, myself and Linda Renzi. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I always found you hilarious. Like you always gave me a lift Aww. when I was ready to just die because I'd done, you know, double work for the last, you know, and then I worked all weekend at Nordstrom. It was ridiculous. Right. Well, I mean, same with you, but I think a lot of the times the customers provided the fodder. Right? Yes. <laughs> I remember, I remember one Christmas Eve, I was so annoyed because, you know, Christmas is the same time every year. So if you're out shopping at 10 o'clock on Christmas Eve, I have no zero sympathy for you. And of course, we couldn't leave the store until the last bag was brought up. And and then at one point, I think everything, all the registers had been closed out and they were bringing up some woman to be rung up at customer service on Christmas Eve. And I think I remember looking at her and I said, you know, Christmas is the same day every year. And someone... Because it's Nordstrom and customers always come first. I think I had to be escorted out of the customer service area because I clearly lost my patience. (laughs) And I think in customer service, you always had to have like all the skill sets. And I didn't have all the skill sets. I remember Nordstrom was known for their gift boxes. And I loved when people wanted everything in a gift box because I'm not a very strong rapper. But there were those people that brought up something odd-shaped from the gift section that wasn't like a sweater or something. Yeah, you couldn't just dump it in a box. (laughs) They're like, would you wrap this? And I was like, with paper? And And they're like, yes. And I was like, and I look around, I was like, do you, you want me to wrap it? I mean, okay. This, I mean, you've uh, buyer beware, right? <laughs> and then I come out oh. with this, and they'd look around. I was like, "Is there anybody else here that could help?" <laughs> I had the same. I worked in accessories for a while, and like, I am the least accessorized person. I'll find a pair of earrings and wear them until I die. I never wore a scarf, and women would be like, "Can you show me all the different ways that you can tie a scarf?" And I'm like. No, I really can't. I'm 
I'm going to have to go get someone more experienced than me. You want a pair of gloves? I can do that. That's fine. Right. <laughs> but not a scarf. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we're probably two of the least retail people, but it, I mean, and so customer service probably made sense for us. We worked with the money. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it made sense for us, but you know, I do, I do enjoy a scarf. I do, but I don't want to have to help somebody put it on or tie it. I no. just want to do my own. No. <laughs> no, I was even worse. It was hilarious. Uh, it was the worst department for me. I don't even I know. know. <laughs> All right. So, um, what I want to talk about uh, now, like having met you at Nordstrom and, and maybe give a little bit of a summary of, you know, uh, what you went to graduate school for and then, you know, the sort of work you went into. And then I really want to talk about your transition into the creative field um, later in life, because I think um, that's always a scary thing to do when you've had the security of uh, regular work. So maybe just um, tell us a little bit about how that journey happened and how you, how you actually made that transition. Yeah. So I, um, I did go to graduate school. So uh, initially I went to, when I went to undergrad, I have like a pre-law degree and I co-op at a law firm and I thought I was going to go uh, to law school, but it was that co-op senior year. And I was like, is this what lawyers really do? Like, it's not <laughs> just so sexy. I can't just go to trial and fight for my client. Like, <laughs> like it's mostly to read books and stuff. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's mostly paperwork. And I was like, ew. And to be fair, like it was a communications law firm. So it was like, the least. I was going back and forth with the FCC. Like it couldn't have been more boring to talk about like towers and satellites and distance for the radio stations and television stations at the time. Like it was so boring. So I was disillusioned and I was like, "Mm, no. So then you come out with this liberal arts degree, right? So many jobs for those people. That's right. (laughs) One of those. (laughs) One of those. master of literally none right yeah so, that's how i got my start in accounts payable was the liberal arts degree yeah. right right <laughs> we're just smart people who can do nothing that's right so, so um so yeah so i you know i got a job and then i was like i gotta do something what am i gonna do oh my gosh so i did i i went to graduate school and originally just because it sort of made sense with pre-law i i got i thought i was going to get an mpa master in public administration but then um while i was in graduate school i changed it to um an mba i have an mba in business economics um and so even after that it was like well i I don't know if I even really want to be an economist. Like that's also like I always felt like, what do you want to do? Like, do I go back to school for yet another mysterious degree? Um, there you go. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, I have an MBA. I'm something. Um, so I, I kind of fell into marketing and um, and not. I'm not the sales type. I mean, I just mm-hmm. literally marketing, like uh, writing and um, creating um, projects and from, you know, start to finish in terms of like, getting a, a product to consumer and what does that look like kind of thing. So yeah. I worked at big name companies back in the day that don't exist anymore, like MCI and AOL and, you know. Oh, yeah, right. Right, right, right. Really big, <laughs> big companies. 
Um, and then I, I uh, found my to sort of the nonprofit world and worked at some big organizations there and did a lot of partner marketing. So I stayed in the marketing arena for a really, really long time. And I guess because I did partner marketing, I was very accustomed to um, speaking and, and, and working with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a little bit, I was able to uh, use the creative side of my brain, but I was dying to do more with that. And as we all know, you're so restricted in the company world. Um, You do and say what makes sense for that brand or that company. And I'm such a, such an, like a sort of an outlier. Like I've just sort of live on my own terms and I had just been restricted for just so long. So yeah. Um, but I, so on the side, like years ago, maybe like about eight years ago, but still very midlife, I um, started to write and then um, take it to uh, to stage and try stand up. So I kind of started first as um, doing something that was like on the side, right? Yeah. Just yeah. To kind of get my feet wet. Um, and then, yeah, like I just parlayed that into... Um, not just stand up. Then I did um, something in the Fringe Festival. And then, you know, I did a play in New York. And um, then I started to act. And yeah, like, nice. I just started to kind of just. And then at one point, I am um, a couple years ago, in 2019, I got laid off from a job I had been at for a really long time. And I just saw that as my opportunity to kind of really go and pursue what I've really want to do and what really made me happy and what yeah. really kept, kept me up at night. Yeah. Nice. That's good. And had you, had you had any formal training before? Like, or is it just, you had a natural, um, cause I, I always felt you had a natural leaning towards comedy because you were just naturally very funny in like every situation. So, um, yeah. But was there anything that you had to learn or it came quite naturally or? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think people are either naturally funny or not. And then it's just a matter of what you do with it and how you do it. So I, um, even before I did, I tried stand up. I had taken an improv class, but I really took that improv class as a way of kind of learning to express myself because despite my performing, I'm actually, you know, pretty shy and kind of introverted. I know when I'm on stage or, or when I'm on, I am on and I yes. can be that. Right. But, but my preference is small groups or just one other person. Like I'm not a big group person. So, right. um, I, I took improv to kind of, um, move out of that a little bit. I was having to do some presentations, you know, for clients and people at work and whatnot. And so my taking the improv was really to help me express myself, um, really in the business world, frankly. Um, but then I learned a lot from that and then I took it elsewhere. I'm not really, I'm not an improv. I I can do things on the fly, but I'm not an improv performer. That's not really what I do. And then I took, um, I did take a stand-up class um, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit later. I actually went on stage first, 
And then was like, oh, maybe I need a stand-up class just to so kind of- So what, what do they actually teach you in a stand-up class? <laughs> right. So the one I took was called Five Minutes to Funny. And um, because they're always talking about having a tight five, like back in the day, like if, I mean, when Johnny Carson had a thing, like he would have people on, you just have to prepare for a tight five. Right. Um, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> um, so five minutes to funny, right? So yeah. Um, they can't teach you how to be funny. Like you either have funny content or not, but there is a bit of a process and there's thought and you, so you would come to, to class every week with material. Um, not all five minutes at the end of it is you, you would have your sort of five minutes, right? So you sort of work up to it and we, it was more like a writing exercise. So you would come and you would perform, you know, your, your set, and then you'd come down and then everybody would, would kind of peer review and just be like, okay, um, I think what you could do there is this, or I think what you could do there is this. It's actually super uncomfortable, particularly for a stand-up because we work alone. We're not inclined to work with a lot of other people. We're, we're not <laughs> yeah. groups. We're stand-up comics. We do this solo. So to have somebody else kind of give you feedback, it's hard. It's a good process but it's really difficult to, to yeah. receive that feedback. Like, well, I can I, imagine. Yeah. So uh, it's a lot of that in sort of trying to make it funny and helping you understand how you can expand on, um, on a joke and mm-hmm. all the pieces of it. Some could be slightly exaggerated, but frankly, I found it uh, years later. I mean, that was, that was initial. I took that on initially, but I found later when you're just being yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're a funny person and the story is funny, it's going to come out funny. It's going to come out funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't really even add too much to it. I never really need to because my life is, is filled with nonsense. So (laughs) a lot of, a lot of material to draw on. (laughs) Yeah. Like I do, I think, yeah. I mean, obviously (laughs) the funniest stuff is like, is rooted in truth in real life. Right. That's the best stuff. Exactly. Um, so during your time as a performer, what personal achievement are you the most proud of that you've, the work that you've done to date? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Again, when I was forced sort of out of, um, and you always have that plan B, but if Mm -hmm. you have the plan B, you never do whatever you just sort of lay back, right? You don't always do what you really want to do. So I was laid off. I had no plan B. I was like, Oh, I guess yeah. I have to go do it. So I went full steam ahead. So I started acting in the early part of 2019. Wow. And by fall of 2019, I was on a billboard in Times Square. I'm still that's that, crazy. That billboard is still up. And it is oh not my gosh. it's nuts. It's not just in Times Square. It's um it's in uh, it's on so many blocks. Friends will walk through New York City and they're like, I saw you. And they'll take a video or take a picture. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you're sitting on my shoulder because I'm at <laughs> bus stops. I'm on other billboards. But it is still up. That's fantastic. In Times Square, it is was part of a print and um, commercial. Like, it's a public service announcement. So it's a PSA. But um, yeah. so it was print and television campaign. And, yeah. And so... Honestly, it's one of the things I'm so proud of. I didn't know that campaign at the time was going to be as big as it was. And I honestly, 
I'm so, um, I guess I'm just appreciative that they took a chance on um, my skills. Yeah. Um, and the commercial is funny. It's a, it's actually quite, a, it's like a, a humorous commercial. So it's a, it's a funny commercial and the, the print campaign is nice. It's great. And it's still fantastic. And fantastic. it'll be in, like, you'll see a, t- a regular TV show where they're broadcasting news from Times Square, just like regular, or somebody said they saw me in Bravo because they, it was a t- regular TV show, but because it was filmed between when it went up in 2019 and current day, <laughs> like, it's still there. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in that show, but it's not me, you know, but it's me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. That's cool. <laughs> That's brilliant. And what, um, so what are the projects that you're working on now? Um, what are the, what are the upcoming things for Gina this year? Like, and how has like, so in 2020 with the pandemic and everything, like how did that affect what you were doing? Um, and what have you like, cause I would think that, um, you know, cause I'm a creative person too. And I was obviously music and a band and, but, and I always had my plan B, um, I never fully went plan A because I guess I thought it, you know, it's going to be too hard. And it, it is hard to let go of that no. safety net that you have. And I haven't been able to do it, you know? Yeah. So, um, so then on top of that with a pandemic where, you know, it's introducing things that you really have no control over, you know, I've of course been grateful to have work when so many don't, how have you coped with that? And, um, you know, was there work? How did that all play yeah. out? So, when I went full on creative, um, I had I had a fair amount of work. Just at, it was just there when in 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 twenty nineteen I, I didn't know that I would, but I did. Twenty nineteen um, remains probably one of the better years for me across the board, mm-hmm. sort of financially and in terms of work. And so then we come into twenty twenty, but for for a creative, I still need to do work. Yeah. I can do some consulting and I have, but, mm-hmm. um, I needed to have something flexible. So I was substitute teaching. So I started substitute wow. teaching, um, like, so the fall of 2019 and I would just teach when I didn't have, you know, gigs. And then I was flexible to kind of, cause you can say yes or no. Right. So mm-hmm. then the beginning of 2020, I, I had gigs up until March and it was, the weekend, the, the first weekend in March, I had, I'd shot, um, I was actually in like Delaware and I shot something there. Um, and then I went up to New York that same weekend to do a comedy show. So I was shooting, I had a two day shoot for, for acting. And then I went up that Friday night and, I, and then I came back here. I was supposed to go the following weekend back up to New York for a show and, um, everything shut down like, right. boom. and then, yeah by the 13th or whatever of March school had gone remote. Well, then they don't really need subs, you know, cause all the teachers are home. So, you know, and they yeah. hadn't quite figured out how it was going to be. So, um, wow. yeah. So my whole everything, no acting, no comedy, no teaching, no eating. Done. So, <laughs> something so (laughs) you know so I kind (laughs) of the business person to me was like oh no (laughs) you have really put yourself in a bind so yeah so you know I uh 
went into a bit of a depression, you know, like some people like, oh my gosh, what's going to go on? But I also just started doing other things like for it, none of it lasted. I couldn't do it. But for a couple of days, I was a shopper at Amazon Prime and I would go to Whole Foods. I shop for people, but it was COVID and I, and people were so close and the shoppers were coming up and it was uncomfortable for five hours shopping with a mask. Yeah. And all. So I was like, I did that for a couple of days and then I couldn't do it anymore. I had signed up to be a, a shopper with another grocery store. And then I was like, mm, this isn't really my cup of tea. Cause then I'd have to shop and deliver. And by the end of the day, like, no. so I actually was delivering food for like a food delivery place. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to drop brands, but, um, and I did that for four months and I wow. would get up and I would set my schedule. And the only way that I could make any amount of money is literally to just be driving eight hours a day, which I'm not willing to do. I have kids, but also, yeah, I'm not a trucker. Like I, I don't yeah. drive <laughs> for eight hours, no disrespect, but that's not what I signed up for. And I don't have a proper car for that. So, yeah. um, so anyway, but I did it because I had to, and there weren't a lot of, we hadn't yet figured out how to do comedy or films remotely or any of that. But so that was like four months and it was survival mode. Yeah, and of course. You just, I was like, what am I? And then you get, you know, you question yourself, why did I leave corporate America? But then so many people were getting laid off. I might not have been there anyway, but I was like, yeah, I, I think it really yeah. would challenge calls into question everything. I mean, I think one of the things that I think it speaks to, which I think is really important, particularly as you get older is, you know, the res- you have to have resilience, right? Yeah. Because things are um, going to change so quickly. And, yeah. uh, and I feel like if you don't have that muscle flexed or ready to take it on, you yeah. know, you're really going to be in some, and, and so I think, you know, that's, that's really shows that you're like, man, sometimes you have to be survival mode, all hands on deck yeah. um, and do, do whatever, you know, but, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was, it wasn't, very pretty, but I did it. And you know what? My girls were here and then uh, they were doing their, their remote school and they, they watched me run out and hustle. Like I was like, mommy's got to go deliver food. And mm-hmm. so we can have food like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, but then, um, you know, things happened. Uh, I, I got an artist grant at the end. Like I had, I had just kept applying. They had these COVID grants for artists and I would apply and I wouldn't get it. And then I would put it on my calendar to apply again. Cause they were doing several cycles and I didn't get it the first or the second or the third. And I applied on the fourth cycle and, and I was so not expecting to get it. And then yeah. I was like, Oh, I got an artist grant. Oh my God. And then all of a sudden the money hit and I was like, Oh my gosh. And then at the same time I got the artist grant, um, somebody that I had previously worked with, uh, she also wasn't at the same organization, but she was at another one. Her husband had a business, small business that needed some help. And she was like, I know you need flexibility. I was just thinking I had a dream. She had a dream on a vacation about me. It was weird. I was like, you need to get better dreams. But she's like, I just but thank you. Me. Yeah. But thank you. And yes, I don't even know what he needs, but I'll do it. She's like, I don't think you'd have to go in. So I help him with his business. And I've started to do that. I do that a lot now. I, I mean, he's like, just, you're just part of the, the business now. So nice. Um, so I do that, 
But even during that time, I we were safe and we did masks, but I did a couple of shoots um, that were small crew. And um, I even went up to New York. I do a fair amount um, of this series with Glamour, 5 to 75. And I went up there and I did, again, small crew. Um I did, I shot a remote film and she, I just saw her, it just dinged my IMDb. So she's, she's in production of that one. It it was shot with the idea that, you know, I'm a a mom and I'm, I'm on the phone with my daughter. So the remote thing didn't matter. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I did some monologues, um, that I was a part of and I did some other creative things. Like I stayed busy. I wrote a script, a pilot episode for a TV show. Wow. um, I need to rewrite, but I did it. Um, And so I never stopped. I didn't stop. I mean, I was, I was down for a few months and I don't think that that's unusual. I don't think I was any different from anybody else. You know? Yeah. I think it was pretty rough for, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, that's, that's awesome. And so did you, did, do you have like an agent or is it just like through your network that you find work or, you know, how does no, that come about? <laughs> it is so weird. I mean, th- how it's all happened is very bizarre. And I, I don't take any of it for granted. Cause again, it's been not even two years. Like it's so weird. And one of those years was a pandemic and still <laughs> is right. Yeah. So still is. Yeah. living in this creative space more pandemically than anything else. Um, I, I kind of do a little bit now. And I say that this way, uh, most of the, all of the work that I've gotten has not been through an agent. It has just been me. There are aggregators for acting jobs and I'm a part of many of them. And so as they come in, I self-submit. And if they ask me to do an audition, you know, it's either live or it's, um, a self-tape or whatever version it is. And something that I shot this past summer during the pandemic, um, I, I worked with this guy twice on something and he's like, do you have an agent? And I was like, and a fellow actor. And I was like, no, I just, you know, I just get work. Um, I bust my butt. Like I really do. Like some people, if you, I mean, not saying that if you have an agent, you don't work, you probably do, but you're so used to somebody scouting the work for you. I'm so accustomed to working that I'm, I just do it all myself. It's like, no, he's like, well, I I want, I think you should, you know, meet so-and-so or whatever. So he gave me information for um, an agent and we connected and I am in her group, but it's, it's what we call in the acting world, um, a, a non-exclusive agent relationship. So, um, she can submit me, but she's a, a pretty big roster of people. And, um, and if there are things that I submit for and they need an agent, I put her down, mm-hmm. but I pro- I'm still open to a, an exclusive agent, you know, yeah. somebody who, who and, and not that to say that they wouldn't have other clients, but you probably, you know, would limit the amount of clients that you have that are in my age group that look like me, that do that kind of work. You know what I mean? Like you'd have some that you would compete against, but everybody wouldn't be this. Um, yeah. So yeah, and it would be good to have um, an agent that is is really looking out for me. I wouldn't probably stop. I'm a Gen Xer. We're used to busting. Like, yeah, <laughs> we don't stop. Yeah. 
Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So yeah, so yeah, but I I I source my own work. Some people think of me. I've had uh, directors come, and I've worked with them a couple times. I have at least three that I know of that I've done a, a lot of work with. That nice. I've, yeah, you just once you build that relationship, that's yeah. great. So, um, what's the most valuable lesson you've learned through all of this? Patience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just, I think sometimes we want, and this, this, this is, this just goes in all aspects of life, right? We want something so badly that we, we rush it. And, um, we think rushing it is the answer, but sometimes you just, just sit back and just wait, um, do the work, but it wait. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Sometimes we try to control how it uh, plays out. And uh, I find, you know, when you're trying to really tightly control how it's going to happen, um, it doesn't work out the same way. If you have a clear goal and vision in your mind and desire, you know, how you get there or what it looks like at the end, it's still what you wanted, but it looks very differently than maybe what you would have tried to control, right? Yeah. For example, yeah. <laughs> I did say early on in life that I wanted to have like a personal chef. And so then I would just have like perfect meals on plan, perfect portions. Uh -huh. That is now my partner, Mike. I didn't expect it to be oh like, you know, he's the most amazing chef. And I, I literally have my own personal chef. But oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, and like I was, I was thinking about it all differently, you know, and um, that, you know, it was obviously going to be like a big mansion, you know, like the, the traditional right. way that you <laughs> right. think when you have a personal chef. But I put that thing out there and it's like, I do, I have a personal chef. Love it. You know, I got what I wanted and it's fabulous, you know, yeah. but I never would have orchestrated it this way. You know, I would have right. thought, oh, I need like $8 million and then right, right. I'll hire the chef and like really getting in my own way. And when you step and I often will do that, like, I remember many times in my life where I would, where I would have a single thought and then just let go of it. One of them was like, I remember early on in my career getting on a plane and walking through business class and saying to, I just said, one day I'm going to be traveling up here. And I just said that. And then throughout, like I literally traveled so much in business class that I, I was a nightmare, <laughs> you know, entitled freaking traveler. Like, <laughs> you know, and again, like it was just this thought I put out there and then boy, did yeah. I get it, you know, and it yeah. came with other complications. Of course I was, you know, traveling too much and right. I don't miss it. But like, I think those things can really happen and you, you and you, uh, I think you're right. You just, it's just the patience of it and, um, not trying to control every aspect of it is really critical. I think. Yeah. I think, yeah. um, with the knowledge you have now, is there anything that you would have done differently? Um, I think I probably would start sooner um, mm -hmm. on my passion projects. And like so many of us, particularly of, you know, my generation, our generation, uh, we were taught traditional paths yes. of life yes. and art, which my family supported and loved and yours yep. too, I'm sure it was over here. 
right? Yeah. Unless you were something, you know, super special. Um, but I would have started sooner and I would have allowed myself to do what I love as opposed to do what I thought I should be doing. Yeah. My, my father died, um, I think three years ago. And, um, so three years ago, four years ago, I try not to keep track. Oh my gosh. It might be three or four years ago. Anyway, it's not four years yet. And, um, before he died, uh, I, I said, dad, you know, why didn't you push me towards the arts? I, have taken piano since I was six. I taught piano as a teenager to younger kids. I took cello. I was in the district orchestra. Um, That's right. I remember that. I mean, right? Like there, I mean, and when my parents divorced, like my father, daughter, or my, you know, the father, daughter date night that we would have would be to the symphony. Like he would take me to the Mm -hmm. Rochester, you know, symphony. And so, I was clearly interested, not necessarily in playing music, but in the arts. And, yes. um, and they supported it fully. Um, you know, we, we would just go to Radio City Music Hall, like all the Broadway shows. Like this was part of what we did. And, yeah. my, and my father, he never held anything back. He's just like, well, I, you know, I always thought that that was sort of reserved for, you know, these prodigies. And I was like... <laughs> Oh my gosh. Right. Okay. I'll grant you. I'm not a prodigy. I was like, <laughs> but I definitely could have been, you know, taught. Oh my gosh. You're right. Right. So, and he was serious about that. And he was like, yeah. did, did I hold you back? Do you think I held you back? And I was like, no, I think our journeys, our journeys, what's supposed to be right. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I, and I encourage my children just to be, and I don't, uh, I apply it some pressure somewhat, you know, for school, but largely not because it doesn't define you and follow. We don't, we don't get that many years, you know, um, that on this earth. Right. So I think do what you love. Cause at the end of the day, no one's going to just be like, Ooh, Gina was such a good marketer. Goodness (laughs) gracious. The way she put that campaign together. God bless her. I worked in uh, expense management for a very long time. And everyone's like, boy, that bell, she really understood expense management. Right? Right? Like, what is the great? That's not the impact I want to leave on this earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know. Like, for me, um, obviously, I was a musician, you know, because my parents were. Uh, you know, so religious, there was certain music that you were allowed to play and there was music that you were not allowed to play. Right. And of course, um, rock music was not in the sanctioned, you know. Nah. So I did pursue, and I have, you know, a master's degree in music composition. I love the classical training, but until I really discovered bass guitar and really it was, um, I was in a girls folk band at the time and someone said, oh, we need a bass player. And I just kind of went, like, oh, that's something that I totally want to play because I always wanted to be in a rock band, but I had, I wasn't going to play freaking piano in a rock band. And no. I'm not, I can sing, but I'm not a front person. I'm definitely, yeah. you know, I am like 
a perfect ice queen bass player like that. Right. <laughs> you know? And I came to that in my 30s. And, you know, I still was hanging on to the security of the job, you know, because I was also in New Zealand. And you really, you know, you, it's very hard to make a living as a performing musician in New Zealand. Yeah. And, um, but I remember thinking to myself that if I had discovered bass guitar or, somehow, you know, came upon it earlier, I probably would have run away from home. I could have yeah. maybe been in a grunge band in the 90s. Right, and been amazing. Right. You know, right. Like, <laughs> I, I think to myself, like, the, the bass guitar was the instrument for me. Like, that's the one yeah. I love the most, you know. And, um, and I did experience it, but in a very safe, safely constructed uh, thing. You know, I never, I never was a desperate, oh, my God, if I don't, play this next gig, I won't eat. I was never one of those musicians, you know? Um, and, but I do wonder like if, if I had come at it earlier, um, and my life depended on it, I think, you know, it would have been very different for me, you know, because the, um, I was good at it. Like I'm very good bass player and I love it. Yeah. You are good at it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I don't know why you couldn't rock out to Jesus Christ Superstar. Like I don't understand. Uh, no, you have to understand the church where I came from. Instruments were not allowed in the worship. Uh, uh, it was a cappella only, right? So uh, that's why I'm which a beautiful. Singer. Which, yeah, right, 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 yeah. Right. A harmonizer. I can harmonize to anything because. Yes. After you've sung Old Rugged Cross 12 times, you got to figure out, like, you know, there's something right. else I can do with this line. Right. I don't know. <laughs> right. Anything else going on in this number? Right. No? I was thinking what we would do here is, right. right. I'm going to lose my uh, Christian evangelical listeners on that one, I can tell. <laughs> All right, cool. Oh, this is fun. Okay, um... Who do you admire most and why? You know, um, it's a group. Like I admire women who bounce back from adversity and Mm -hmm. I would, uh, my mother is a person that is in that group, but she's not the only one. Um, you know, and now she's in a facility because she needs 24 seven care because of a debilitating stroke. But prior to that, you know, I, you know, I watched somebody from another generation sort of come up and, and get divorced and go back to get her masters and, you know, do all the things that people do and climb, you know, the steps of the great wall of China and travel all over and teach English in Mexico and in Ukraine and, you know, and do all the things that, um, a person wanted to do. She just, and she had some adversity. She, she not only had adversity because she was a woman of her time, she was a woman of her time who got divorced from, you know, this scientist that, you know, why would you leave that world? Like it's so cushiony, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's just an example of so many other women um, that have faced adversity. Um, And I sort of, I came into this world facing a little bit of adversity. I lived in a foster home for years before, you know, I was adopted and um, I've had some, some physical, abused relationships. You know what I mean? So I have overcome adversity and there, but there's so many women who have overcome even more and they go on to do other things and they don't let this, this thing define who they are. I, I, I don't, 
we all have labels and we're all part of so many different buckets, mm-hmm. but I don't live in any one bucket because I'm all the buckets and I don't, I don't want to be defined by that person that was this or that was that, you know, or something was yeah. done to that person. So yeah. any woman, particularly, I mean, people in general, but I have a special <laughs> love for women <laughs> that, you know, yeah. have overcome adversity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, and I think, you know, um, there, uh, there is something to that because, because, you know, we, we have to fight harder. It's, it's, it's a fact, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've questioned, I've questioned a lot, you know, those very things, like what, what are the things that I've had a leg up on in life, you know, that I've had no control over. And, you know, I think all of us have been, um, you know, all of us that are, you know, have any shred of humanity, you know, that's been called into question. And, you know, even, but even with the entitlements I've had, you know, of course there's been adversity and struggles. Um, you know, I didn't, I never took the traditional path. I didn't, you know, the whole marriage and kids in that line. I just, um, I just wanted something very different for myself and I went and did it. And, um, and I have had a lot of adversity. I've had, you know, same thing, you know, abusive relationships, um, you know, and to start over, to keep starting over, you know, and my latest start over, big major start over was at the age of 50 when like literally financially and everything I was starting over because I had, I had, you know, given a lot of money away to people in my life, um, that, you know, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't very healthy. Right. So, um, and it was, it was overwhelming to start over at 50, but at the same time, like four years on, I'm like, I'm way better off than I was, you know, right. pretty much right through my forties, I guess. Right. right. Yeah. So, um, so I think it's proof that, you know, this whole illusion of time, yes. Okay. We have a minimum amount of time and all that, but this idea that, um, you can't start over or can't make significant change, um, people need to get out of the fear of doing that because I, I feel like the world is giving us all kinds of opportunities to look at things differently, do things differently, um, to transition to different lifestyles, you know, um, different ways of doing things so that, you know, we can all, um, live a better life because this whole trading time for money scenario is ridiculous, you know, to barely live to not be able to afford healthcare, you know, all that <sighs> stuff. No. And I, I just think, um, it's, it's a real, like, if you lose the ability to do that, then you are truly lost, you know, yeah. because you're, you're just going to have to do that to survive. We're entering more than ever. That's how that is. So I, I'm with you. I think anyone that can constantly reinvent themselves, you know, pick themselves up and, move on. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I'm blown away every day by people that do that. It's incredible. Yeah. So. Um, do you have a bad habit that you'd like to get rid of? Uh, I would say self doubt. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and I, it doesn't always appear so I think because, uh, what, what the final, <laughs> you know, the final outcome, what other people see doesn't Mm -hmm. appear to have gone through all this self doubt, you know, but it, I do every day. Um, 
what are the, would, what are the doubting thoughts? Like, um, uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. Like what, what is it? Um, closer to probably I'm not ready. Um, I think, or what if I put this out there and I was ready? Like what happens then? Can I handle all of what comes with being ready? Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, you're creative, like you get starting projects and not quite finishing them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to finish. There are two major things two and a half major things that I'm going to finish. And there is, there's a, there's like this um, nervous energy of what's going to happen when I finish these, because I think they're really good. Um, And, but what do I do when the world sees them? I mean, yeah, it's a little bit scary because of the rejection, but I, you know, as an actor in a comic, like I get rejection all the time. (laughs) Like like I'm used to that, but these are, you know, different, you know, written projects. And I think that, I think that they're probably pretty strong Mm -hmm. and I just, um, I'm a little bit, uh, am I ready for, am I ready for what comes with that? Or just what comes with that? Yeah. 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 So the, the rejection, I think it's really important because I think, um, so many people are not comfortable with failure or rejection when actually um, those things are, are excellent feedback if you take them right. And people are afraid of rejection, afraid to fail. And you seem really comfortable with that. Was, was that always in you or is that as a result of? <laughs> How long do we have? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think we are products of our, of our journey, our life. And I, I I mentioned it earlier. I lived in a foster home till I was almost five. And so when you come into this world and the first person that is supposed to love you, you know, (laughs) unconditionally, um, in your brain doesn't, even if what they're doing is the, the loveliest thing ever, in some way, right? It is, it is, you live with this forever. There's no getting rid of this. And another family taking you in and loving you does not erase that. So I spent so many years like knowing, yeah, yeah, you just know that this isn't your, you know, a fam. I mean, it felt nice and it was warm and I had shelter, but you know, it's not your family. And so I think, I, my, my start in life was rejection in in my, in my head. Right. So even as I went along, yeah, nobody wants it and I hate it. I really don't love it and deal with it, but you know, it's just something that you take and then you kind of move forward. You use, sometimes the rejection is just pure hate and that's, that's not constructive. No, 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 nobody gets anything from that. That's either, that's somebody else's insecurity or jealousy yeah. that they're yeah. pushing on you. That it has nothing to do with the content that you've created or, you know, or the character you're trying to be or whatever. Put that over there. That means nothing. But sincere rejection because you're, you're not the right person for the right part or, you know, what you've created, is it, you know, we, we, we liked something better or whatever. 
or the feedback that I've gotten on, you know, my, my pilot episode that I've written all the notes. Oh my gosh. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, or my memoir, you know, like, Oh, I thought that was good. Um, those are constructive. And so you just, you take it and you use it and you grow from it. It's also just somebody else's opinion. So Mm -hmm. once you are able to realize, okay, some of this information that I've been given is really good. Some Mm -hmm. of it is just somebody else's opinion. Everybody has one. And then you just sort of move on. It takes, your skin gets thicker, but don't, it's, it's, it still hurts. Yeah. It doesn't hurt. It still hurts. Straight out of the gate. Yeah. 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 But you move on from it. And I don't think wallowing it, wallowing in it is helpful for anybody. Yeah. It's it's hard, you know. Uh, um, It was hard for me to learn that I wasn't the center of the universe. That was the first big lesson where I'm like, (laughs) wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Big news, you know, and like my <laughs> friends at the time, you know, they <laughs> joked with me because like I was always this like flamboyant, dramatic, me, me, yeah. me, you know, <laughs> and um, when you have that realization, you know, it's, and it's a big shock. And then, um, but then you get on and you're like, um, I'm glad I learned that early in life because I can't even imagine if I'd never learned that lesson, I would be like the yeah. biggest, <laughs> most annoying disaster. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I think it's it's hard though because, you know, you think that what you do always is, you know, the best thing. And when someone comes out and they, I actually think that when it stings, it's because, you know, there's some truth in it, you know, uh, yeah. When it stings the most, you know, there's some yeah. things where you just go, like you say, hate or whatever, you know, but when there's something there and there's like a truth in it, that's when it stings the most. Cause you know, like, yeah, I have to, I, I have to be honest and look at that. And yeah. I think, um, I think that's the other thing. I think I would love it if, um, you know, schools would, would teach more of these kinds of skills because these are the sorts of things that, you know, you really do need in life. And if you could, if you had a stronger resilience muscle and you had a stronger failure, you know, accepting failure and rejection muscle, like imagine how much more powerful you would go into the world being rather than, you know, wondering, you know, yeah. how to, how to prove that the three sides of a triangle are all equal. Like I've right, never right. used that right. my entire life. <laughs> never. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's that emotional intelligence. Right. And I think yeah. these are softer skills, but the, the softer skills are what, connects you with people it's not your ability right to (laughs) create a pivot table yeah yeah um is there anything that keeps you up at night at the moment oh my gosh (laughs) love love keeps me up at night having it losing it um questioning it Um, love in all its very ways and not just romantic love, right? Mm -hmm. Love of, love of people, um, you know, uh, of, of humanity. Uh, you know, of course, you know, there's the family love, right. And then there's, you know, partner love, but love in all its different ways. Am I giving enough of it? Am Mm -hmm. I receiving it in the way that I want to receive it? And I think, and for me, you know, I keep a notebook and actually several um, by my bed. So I, I I write everything out. And so sometimes it's a, um, 
which is probably why I do both sort of comedy and poetry and other sort of writing, because sometimes it's funny, but sometimes mm-hmm. it's not funny. Um, yeah. And I, it's just writing some of my thoughts out helps sort of me um, work through it. Right. Yeah. So there's no, not always a solution. Uh, we, yeah. We're so solution oriented in, in this world, but sometimes there isn't solutions. There's literally just questions <laughs> and, yeah. and there's no answers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Oh, that's a good, that's a good one. That's a, yeah, that's not a typical, you know, most people would say finances or, you know, like no. that's not a typical, that's, I like that. That's good. <laughs> awesome. Um, in which areas do you want to develop yourself? I would say um, asking for help. Mm-hmm. I, I do everything on my own. And I, <laughs> I ha- it has, people have said this forever. Even as an adult, my parents would say, why didn't you just tell me you needed help? Or why didn't you just tell me you needed this? Yeah. I don't like to ask for help. I like to um, figure something out myself and then just do it. But even in relationships, it's the same thing. Well, I didn't know. I was, And I think part of it is I, um, I intuit pretty well. And I think I expect others to be the same. So I don't want to ask because I assume, well, can you just figure it out? Obviously. (laughs) It's right there. I pretty much said it, but you didn't say it. I was just like, what did you just know? Um, How did you not know? How did you not know? Yeah. I don't, I, I'm, very, very bad. I don't ask for yeah. help in any way. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, I can definitely relate to that. I think that's part of the strong, resilient woman as well. Like, uh, because okay. we've had to do a lot of things on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I had like, you know, so obviously I had this accident late last year where I broke my ankle and yeah. collarbone. And so I was physically incapacitated. And I yeah. remember, um, you know, even when I was first coming home, I was trying to do too much. And, and Mike was just like, let me help you. And I just, I just started crying because like, it was the first time that someone had just gone like, what are you doing? Like, let me help you. And like, I had to really learn to relax into that and know that it was okay. And he was fine about helping me. And obviously I needed help, but it was so, um, man, it was really hard for me to do. It was really hard for me to be even the slightest bit helpless, you know? So I feel like there was a great lesson in that for me, like, um, you know, that to let people be there for you and to ask for help. And, um, you know, cause I would never obviously abuse it. And since I've been able to walk again, like I'm totally like overdoing everything cause right. he just waited on me hand and foot for, you know, t- two months or three months or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, and I just was like, I was crying all the time. Like I just remember, um, being blown away, you know, because I'd been in situations before where, um, I don't think I could have relied on someone that I was in a relationship with to do, you know, what, what this person did for me. It was really humbling. And yeah, I, think I don't, I don't have an expectation that people will ever stick around. 
I mean, yeah. again, I know what we chalk it up to. I get it. Like, <laughs> right. So I get it. I don't have an, and frankly, they really don't stick around that long, you know, like tradition, you know, in it's just the way it is, you know what I mean? Yeah. And for whatever the reason, and sometimes I'm the one who walks away, but I walk away because I'm afraid that you're going to walk away. So I, I don't want to rely, get to the point where I rely on somebody for anything because you're not going to always be there. So yeah. I need to know how to do it for myself. Yeah. When I think about the creative space, like I know people who could, could just catapult me in a way. And I'm, and I'm not using them in any way. I don't even ask them. I, I apply just like, you know, everybody else, same thing in the publishing space. I have a cousin who was a publisher. She's not now, but she was, but like, I don't ask her. I self-published a book. Like I don't ask anybody that I could for something. And I, maybe I should, I don't know, but there's, there is some joy in the process, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do find some joy in learning, but I think if there was an area to develop me asking for help, oh my gosh, I think it would blow everybody else away to the, are you asking me to help you? Oh my gosh. Wait a minute. Let's get this on camera. I've been waiting for you to do that for, you know, 20 years. Is something wrong with Gina? She's not well. She's asking for help. Something's wrong. Right, right. Are you dying or something? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think the people would think, oh my gosh, she, this is it. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about music. Cause I, <laughs> oh, I love music. Who, who are your favorite musical artists and why? Like, who do you, it's a big question. It's a massive question. Um, and I, and it's a hard question because the favorite thing really does the thing I don't like. It's that bucket. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's not like I don't have any, I love Prince. There's no way oh. that I can't love Prince. He's an overall musician and an artist. And I always loved his boots. So I mean, uh, <laughs> did I you mean, ever see him live? Did you ever see him live? I have not seen him live. I saw um, him one time in Australia and it was mind blowingly good. It was like, and I remember at the time, um, you know, because it was in Rod Laver Arena and just the way he had it set up, it was uh, just him. And he did this whole segment in it where yeah. he basically just did like 30 to 40 seconds of a lot of his biggest hits. Yeah. And um, he was so, um, you know, he's like, oh, those are just, you know, a few of the hits. Like he was just, but he was like, yeah, yeah just whatever. <laughs> and um, but he was he was just so mind bogglingly spectacular. And I remember at the time, like you can't help but not move. And I remember um, we were sitting next to these two people that like didn't move the whole thing. And I'm like, are you like aliens? Like I'm like, uh, who, how can you not? Did you even want to come here? Cause you're not looking like, you know, <laughs> I don't understand people who don't move to music. And here's the thing. I'm not a rocker. I mean, I love you, but I'm not a rocker, but I would even move at a rock concert, even heavy metal in some fashion. I'd probably just be banging my head and it might be weird, but not a natural movement for me. Yeah. But what are you made out of? What kind, 
I feel you're soulless if there's music playing and there's not a toe and tapping. There's, no, or tux, yeah. there's no, I don't understand those. And I've seen those people and I, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. That's wonder bread to me, but I just don't understand. There's like fla- no flavor. There's no nothing. But yeah, I mean, I love him. And, and here's the interesting thing about live concerts for me. So I went to my very first concert when I was 13 and I, 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 I won't forget it. It was, um, the brothers Johnson, they came to Rochester. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I grew up in Rochester, New York, right? So upstate New York. And it was the brothers Johnson and the opening band was a band called clear, which, you know, not too many people have heard of, and it doesn't really matter. Um, they have a good song called winners. Um, but, it was fun, but this is where you know who you are in your personality. I, over the years, have gone to some concerts, but I haven't gone to that many. And here's here's how I, I'm not a big crowd person. So, and I love music so personally that mm. I, I literally could care less who's around me. I'm feeling it and receiving it. And sometimes the other people around me disturb that experience for me yeah, in such a weird way because yeah, yeah you think oh my gosh she loves music why isn't she at a live concert no i've seen sade and you know i've seen janet but in a vip box so i didn't have to wow. be around a whole bunch of people nice. um well it just was a work box or whatever but the point is i have been to some concerts my not going to concerts has nothing to do with my lack of love for these bands and these musicians. Right. It has everything experience. to do. It's the experience. Yeah. It's space. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was seeing somebody one time that, um, and we did a few Dave Matthews because he was, I mean, he was a, he's a deadhead. So we yeah. did a lot of Dave Matthews bands. Um, and for me, observing other people in that arena was like, wow, this is, this is really something. Look at how he's really getting into the music. But yeah, I think it's that. I mean, I, I love music almost too much, but I also like small venues with, again, that's just a personal thing. I'm not a big, it seems so weird. I'm not like this big arena person. I like small venues, small bands. And I like, I love, to reach out and almost touch that band. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm dating a musician, so or uh, yeah. a singer. So like I lo- I want to be able to touch you. <laughs> like- yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I remember um so funny when I was doing my master's degree in uh, New Zealand, right? And you two was coming to New Zealand with BB King. Ooh, and wow. um all I remember is that if you were going to go see you two in the States at that time, you pretty much had to like camp out to even get tickets, yeah. right? Like it yeah. was that where people, yeah. and then on the day of the concert, same thing, you wanted to camp out. So I was a warden at a university hostel. So a whole group of us were going to go to you two. So being the American, I'm like, man, we have to get up so early on the day of the concert and get to the thing. And, they, and all the Kiwis are like, why? I'm like, we want to be first. We want to be at the front. Right. So I make us get out there like at 8 a.m. And we're the only ones there. There's no one there, just us. And we yeah. wait and wait. And someone's like at about, I don't know, 11. They're like, I'm going to go to the dairy and get some chips. I'm like, okay, I'll hold your space in line. And there's still nobody, <laughs> still nobody there. And oh then 
like the gates were opening at, I don't know, seven o'clock or something. And so literally like 10 minutes before seven, other people start coming, you know, and we'd been there all day. I'm like, oh, you know, and so they opened the gates and we run, run straight down and we're right up front. Like yeah. I can see Bono's nose hairs. That's how close we were. And I just, and I was like, I was saying to everyone like, man, how lucky we're right up in front. And everyone's like, yeah, good thing we were here at 8 a.m. Because right. like, no, and not like five, you know. It's, and I just—it's such a classic. America has to be first, and the yeah. thing about—I mean, we've learned that we're not first in everything. Yeah. Um, um, and but, I just made everyone do it. Um, there was no argument. You did, you did, and I, 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 and I'm so glad that they were like, "Thanks, Val." Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I love. I'm an '80s R&B, '90s R&B. Yeah. Like I'm a ballader. I love ballads. You know, I yeah. stay up at night thinking about love. So clearly, I I'm know. In the ballads. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's so. oh, I love it. That's yeah. great. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I um, I I pretty much like. I like all genres, as you know. I mean, probably yeah. I'm not a country western fan. Neither, I, yeah, I have either. to. It either has to be something like uh, bluegrass instrumental, or um, you know, some of the old country classics. I don't like the new country. Never have. And I mean, Montana. I come from Montana, where like, yeah, country have, roads. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. some Dolly and some Kenny Rogers. I mean, there's some classics yeah. that you might like, but largely, I'm not a big country person either. For me to like country, it has to, it has to not be country at all. Yeah, and exactly. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome. Um, this is a tricky one. What is your favorite memory of our friendship? It's not tricky at all. It's L.A. It's, it's, oh, it's that's fine. It's totally L.A. So, I mean, I love the fact that here's the best. We're not in the same city now. No. We're not from the city where we first met. And right. my best memory of us is 3,000 miles away from where we both are now, right? Exactly. And so it's not even in the same country you are now. So <laughs> I just think oh. it's... Oh, you know what? That was the best. L.A. It, L.A. was nice for for many reasons. We, we were both there for whatever, you know, sort of business and, and whatever, music and business and work and whatever the reasons we were there. And... But we spent time and like my love language is quality time. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit of acts of service to if somebody wants to help me, but I never asked for it. So I never get it. But, uh, <laughs> so It's quality time, honestly. And yeah. any time I can spend over a coffee or, you know, whatever, a meal and break bread and talk to somebody. And we did that in LA. We did it. We did it over a meal. We did it at a house. Um, yeah. we, we, we did it and I, and it meant a lot to me and okay. I, yeah. So, and I think, I actually think, I don't even remember when it was, um, it was, it was like, uh, 2010. So I think ago. just for perspective. So we met in the early nineties, <laughs> I left DC in 92 or 93, something like that, moved to yeah. New Zealand, lived on the other side of the planet for 25 years. Yeah. So 
we hadn't spoke all that time. And I don't, I mean, we, uh, we connected on Facebook eventually, yeah. which is how that happens. And then, yeah, I was in LA recording the second album and you were coming and I, I, I don't even know how we managed to. I probably, probably posted that we were yeah. there and then I, yeah. So I think for me, it was like, here's someone I haven't seen since the nineties and we haven't spoke regularly, but it was one of those classic moments where you sit down, you have the quality time. And it was, you know, again, like no time had passed, not to be cliched, but there was no awkwardness. It was just like, Hey man, what have you been up to for the last 25 years or whatever it's been, you know? And, um, just amazing, you know? And then of course, um, like I know I'm going to see you again. I'm at least in the same region. You are. Like, We're in the same time zone. Part of yeah. So that's a that's an improvement straight away. <laughs> it, it is. Um, yeah, and I think um, I hadn't even been on. I think I I don't remember getting on Facebook. I think I got on Facebook maybe 2009, perhaps. Yeah. And so I hadn't been on Facebook that long. Had and, and I guess the fact that and people talk about sort of social media and, you know, some in, in, in negative ways, but for me, um, it's definitely, um, been positive because I have posted that I've been someplace and somebody else I know is also in that city. And yeah. I think I knew yeah. you were going, but it, in any case, um, in, in other times, you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm here, you know, for business or for whatever show or whatever. And people, I'm here too. And like, you know, Perfect. and I get to see that person. Right. Yeah. So yeah. LA was a, I thought LA was really nice. And it seems like if we're on a, like an every 10 year stint, it's where we're due. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which, which we're just done. I would like to, um, yeah, I would like to make it more frequent. Which right. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice. That'd be really nice. Um, all right. Maybe one last question before we wrap up. Um, what are like, maybe um, again, I don't know when I'm going to actually launch. I'm just building up content now. So it could be that this episode doesn't air until you're already a big star. And so like, when oh, I say gosh. things like what is net, like what's <laughs> coming out next, what's imminent oh, okay. for you? Yeah. Um, okay. So I did, I wrote, a pilot script for a TV show. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, uh, what's next is drafts and drafts and drafts until it is in a position to be shown to somebody that can do something about it. Um, and I am, I will seek more help on that. I do have somebody who wrote a series Bible um, just because he did, because he's terrific and great. And I took that and wrote a, a pilot off of it, but I am going to um, probably get more help on writing this pilot because I'm definitely more of an actor and not a screenwriter, though I'm playing a screenwriter. Um, right. <laughs> I, I have a memoir that I've started, which I am very in love with. I like the concept. I like all of the words that I've put in it thus far, but I kind of took a hiatus. It made me sad when my father passed. And so I will, uh, I will get back to that. And that is a thing I am in. I'm in a feature film that we are getting in together in rehearsals, um, online for now, um, in a couple of weeks to do, um, some, some table reads and to kind of, you know, get into character. And I think in that film, I, um, will have to, um, speak a little Spanish. So 
Uh, that's a fun and exciting thing. And then I just never stop. In terms of comedy, I do comedy whenever, you know, I'm, I was never wanting to be a road dog and I'm not like, if I go to another city and there's an opportunity to do some comedy, I do, but I kind of live in two places now, New York city and in, you know, DC. And I go back and forth for acting and comedy. And that's just, that's fine for me. Nice. Um, So, yeah. So I think those are imminent. And then Always, always, always. Like I, I am on hold for some dates. I've booked a project that I can't speak about. I've signed a mil- million documents. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, <laughs> it should be a fun and cool project. Um, it, we were going to shoot next week, but we pushed. And so, yeah. So, you know, I'm always, there's always something in the hopper. And mm-hmm. um, it, it makes me excited. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I'm so excited. Well, I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure connecting and having you like, this is a new journey for me. You're only my second recorded podcast. Um, So I'm still learning, but I, I loved having you. Um, And I think, yeah, as uh, you know, we'll be able to um, let the users know more about your projects when we actually launch and, you know, get the episode going. So that's awesome. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> okay. I love fabulous. It. Love you. Oh my nice. gosh. Saturday morning. <laughs> Fab. Fabulous. <laughs> like the fat sets me up. Join us next time for a session with Robert Haynes Peterson, a story of how a boy from small town Idaho got to do luxury journalism in New York City and all over the world.